Again, after the preaching, we will have a word of prayer, asking the Lord to bless it, and then we will sing Psalter 398, which is entitled Divine Grace and Compassion, based on Psalm 145. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, again, what an event we have before us this evening. And it, it's once more something only found in the Gospel of Luke. How thankful we should be for Luke's careful research to learn about the ministry of Jesus when he was here on earth. And by the Holy Spirit, he wrote about things that are not in the other Gospels, but in this particular Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And our scripture this evening, it, it's the text which proclaims the Gospel Savior in service. And let's together behold him in service, pondering his gospel deeds and instruction and impact. Interestingly, in his spirit-inspired gospel account, Luke often mentions Christ's ministry to women. Someone calculated at least 23 unique instances in Luke alone where God's care and ministry is shown to women. You know, God cares for all people, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, indeed, from every tribe and tongue and nation. The whole world is fallen in Adam, lost in sin and misery. And what hope and help is there for us except for God coming to the rescue in and through his son. And this is what the whole Bible is telling us about, that God has come to the rescue. Now just try to picture with me this woman told about in our text passage. She was a badly bent-over woman, shaped as described by another like a hopeless, helpless question mark. What a suffering this woman endured. And not just for a year, or for five years, or ten years, but for 18 years. The text mentions she was bent over with like her head between her knees, bowed together, the text says, and in no wise able to lift herself up. Can you imagine her hobbling to the synagogue meeting? How much might be said about her commitment to attend synagogue worship, even in her poor, crippled health condition? You know, sometimes our excuses for not attending church can be very weak and unfounded. When thinking of the example of this believing woman in our text, we don't know where this synagogue meeting took place which village or town. But comparing all the gospel accounts, this was likely the last synagogue service of Jesus recorded for us. There's something very moving about that by itself. It was while Jesus was en route to Jerusalem, verse 22, for a last time. This event of our text passage likely, likely took place only months before Jesus crucifixion. We are told in verse 16 that Jesus refers to this woman as a daughter of Abraham, 
which means she was a covenant child. But in this context, Jesus is not just saying she was of Jewish background, but that she was a God-fearing woman, actually. And again, the fact that she would still go to church, so to speak, in her condition, demonstrated, didn't it, something of her godly priority and focus in life, even as someone who suffered such affliction as she did. Her condition, notice, is also described in verse 12 and 13 as an infirmity, a physical deformity, which somehow, in her case, we're told the devil was behind. Satan had inflicted this woman with this awful bent-over deformity, an impossible chronic back problem. Satan was especially active in binding and assaulting people in the time when Jesus was here on earth. And what a mean, treacherous enemy of all that is good and beautiful, right and true. The devil is. You know that, don't you? He's an enemy of our souls. He's a wicked foe. He's the most wretched, evil one who always wants to destroy and ruin us, body and soul. Oh, thank God for Jesus who came to slay that serpent Satan once for all. Well, this woman in our text, she represents not only someone attacked physically by Satan, but she's a picture of what happens when Satan gets a hold of us in any way at all. This woman had her face to the ground only. She couldn't look upward and outward. What a bondage she was in and under. How hard and difficult to function in life. Think of it, without any of today's handicap aids and accessories available to her. Bent over, unable to straighten herself out. How did she even manage from day to day, even with basic chores and necessities, and being under this affliction for so long? If you think, I couldn't have been that bad, I challenge you after church. At home, just try it. Be as one whose head is between your knees. Try it for a half hour without being able to stand up straight. How difficult a trial this was. And if you think of it, for 18 years, she was under this affliction. That's a long time. At least humanly speaking. How tired and hopeless this nameless woman must have become over the years. Didn't she have reason to give up on God? On God ever changing her circumstances and delivering her from this awful affliction that she bore day after day, year after year. But the fact, yes, that she went to synagogue service still showed she had not lost hope in God. And we know she was not put to shame ever looking to Him. Here, reformer John Calvin, he comments about the 18 years, the 18 years, most pastorally and correctly saying, and I quote, the length of time points out to us, though the Lord does not immediately relieve our distresses, yet we ought not to despair. But we can despair so easily, but we ought not to despair. Indeed, congregation, and Even so, doesn't our text and Jesus' gospel deeds in service now give reason for us to, for you and me, 
not to despair. No. Also in our difficult situation and circumstances, under whatever heavy trials and troubles that may leave us bent over and heavily burdened. Maybe you are like that here tonight for whatever reasons. Yes, not only maybe in reference to yourself, but also perhaps in regards to others whom you know who are so bent over in the way of sin and evil still, or in some hopelessly hopeless quagmire of just wretched miseries that they bring themselves into through their sin and through their foolish, foolish ways. Congregation, let's not give up looking to God in our needs and to keep praying and interceding also for those whose lives we love or whom we know about who are so broken and bent over in sin and evil. Listen, there are no incurable cases with God. Job testifies about God in Job 42, verse 2, I know thou canst do everything. In fact, dear congregation, let's be so encouraged in this faith and trust from this evening's text passage. For what did Jesus do that day in the synagogue for this woman? We are told that while Jesus was preaching and teaching in the synagogue, at a certain point, seeing the woman, presumably more in the back of those gathered there, Jesus suddenly calls her forward. The connection between Jesus' teaching and now his attention to this woman is that likely Jesus wanted to verify all his gospel teaching with a concrete example of his mercy and his love and his power for needy sinners like us all in our infirmities and trials. Jesus' preaching and teaching was confirmed, you know, by the Savior's miracles to many in his day, divinely testifying for then and for all ages since Jesus is the promised Messiah and he alone is the Savior for sinners like us. And what a Savior God he truly is. His miracles confirmed all his gospel word and teaching for all ages. So we read, Jesus saw her and he called her. To him. What must that have been for this woman to be so focused on now in front of all the others and to be called to go to Jesus? Can you see her, that woman, coming forward, struggling up the aisle, shuffling forward, bent over with face low to the ground, not able at all to straighten herself up not able to look to Jesus face to face. But there she stands. Yes, there she stands. A pitiable, humped over woman, molested by the devil for years now. And the whole synagogue is watching. What will happen? And what happened? What happened? What does the text tell us? The text says that very simply and powerfully. Even as Jesus called her to him, we read in verse 12, B, 13, he said to her, Woman, you are loosed, set free from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and we're told immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Beautifully in the Greek language, 
the verb tense of you are loosed is in the perfect passive form. Meaning, Jesus was saying here, I'm doing this miracle now for you, and it will be effective for all your lifetime, never to be undone. Congregation, the woman shaped like a bent over, hopeless, helpless question mark became erect like the letter I, or you might say, like an exclamation mark. And what are we told she does? Well, she breaks out in praise and thanksgiving to God. Literally, she continued on and on glorifying God. I imagine, wouldn't she have jumped and shouted for joy? Hallelujah to our God! She would have said over and over with others joining her in such ecstatic and exuberant praise. That's what we learn in verse 13 and 17. Notice, by the way, while it was Jesus who healed her, yet we're told she glorified God, the text says. You see that in the text? Verse 13. And we can explain this easily, can't we? Because we know Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. He's the second person of the Trinity, sent of the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, to show divine mercy and compassion on fallen sinners living in this fallen world, subject to satanic attack and suffering under bondage from sin within us and around us. In 1 John 3, verse 8b, we read the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John say, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And no doubt Jesus was preaching and teaching the same truth in the synagogue about the wonders of his coming in the fullness of time as the God-sent deliverer from Satan, sin, death, and hell. And here now Jesus proves his message with this marvelous miracle before everyone in that synagogue. Well, dear congregation, as this passage is now put before us in the preaching here in Bethel FRC, January 22, 2023, do we not have to say that Jesus, back then, that same Jesus, who was in that synagogue, gathering long ago, calling helping, serving sinners. He's now doing the same here among us, or not. Yes, this very same Jesus. He cares for all sinners, and his eye is especially on those who gather together on worship, for worship, who need him so. Bow down with this and with that, whatever it might be. Is there anyone among us who this evening feels so Satan-bound in sin all too often still. Are you crippled, bowed down in life in one way or another for this trial, with this trial or that trial that you are presently going through? And maybe, maybe for years already you're so afflicted under it all. Are there those here who have lust consuming you. And no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get free from it. And you're in bondage. And you're bent over in misery. Is there someone here just overwhelmed in grief because of maybe your life up to now 
or because of a loved one who's no longer with you, or because of your life seems so meaningless and hopeless to you. Listen, whatever your case, the Savior calls to you now. Yes, He sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He's called me to preach this sermon this night while you're in church here tonight with me. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. Come forward. Come to me. All you who are miserable and wretched and hopeless and tired and overwhelmed and weary and struggling and hear the Lord speak words of consolation, words of deliverance. Yes, also in your needs and in your situation. Truly, Jesus is the one and only Savior for bent-out-of-shape sinners like us and bent-out-of-shape saints struggling with this or that. The 18-year bondage of this needy woman in our text, someone has said, may not only represent sinners of any age under the attacks and assaults of Satan, but possibly also under all people under all too many human proposed solutions and self-help schemes and laws that we people devise. Think of the context here about the Jewish leaders with all their, with all their loveless religious laws and regulations, not from God, but from themselves. Man-made rules, laying them down on people, laying burdens on the people. You know, ultimately, there are no human solutions to our deepest problems in life. And except God alone deliver us and minister to us, no real help is found for us. So Jesus says now in our passage, back then and to us today here, come to him, come to him, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 147, verse 3 states as a gospel promise that we may plead before the Lord. He heals the broken in heart. Are you broken in heart? Maybe because of sin. Maybe because of life. He heals the broken in heart. And he binds up their wounds. Psalm 145, verse 14, God's word declares, The Lord upholds all that fall and raises up all those who are bowed down. Are you bowed down? Likewise, in Psalm 38, verse 6 and 21 to 22, we read the psalmist cry under the burden of his sins and experiencing heavy trials. He says, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Forsake me not, O Lord, my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O God of my salvation. I ask you, will we also respond in faith and repentance before the Lord? Who here will not have this gospel event of our text so encourage us, you and me, in humble reliance on God, our Savior, in all our needs for soul and body, living still in this sin-cursed, devil-roaming, sin-corrupting, fallen world? You know this crippled, bowed-down-together, bent-over woman under the grip of Satan and held back by human-made religious standards is a picture of lost mankind in so many ways. But focus now on Jesus 
and hear him calling and see him calling sinners to himself, calling this crippled, bent-over woman of misery to come to him and see what Jesus does for her. You know, the Bible declares, none who come to Jesus in faith will ever be put to shame. Come to him. Even for the faith you need and the repentance that comes with it in coming to him. Come to Jesus like this woman did, empty of anything good of yourself and hear Christ calling and don't delay. If it's well, don't we need to come to Jesus and keep coming to him in all our sin and misery and need for as long as you and I live? You know, it's the only way to begin and to keep on keeping on living straight up and out for God and for good. Honestly, that's the gospel truth. If any scripture passage should convince us of this rich, free gospel, would it not be our text of this evening? Here, listen with me to how another preacher applied this, uh, for this part of our text that we've come to so far. He writes, You and I have considered today an event in the life of the unchangeable Lord Jesus when he was confronted with someone who for 18 years had been in the clutches of Satan. The Savior came to her and he, he freed her graciously, completely from the prison that she was in. You know, Satan congregation is ever busy That's what this person writes. In our world, damaging men and women physically and emotionally and spiritually and holding them captive and in bondage. I think, for example, and this is my part now, but I think, for example, also of how so many in our day are being destroyed by compulsive drug use and addiction to Opioid. Lethbridge is, is known for the misery of many there. How many there are living crooked, bent over lives, having been brought there too by some debilitating situation or some, some addiction to sin and evil. But the gospel is the Lord Jesus, this person writes, can deliver them. The gospel is through him we can overcome our weaknesses and our limitations and our impossibilities of ourselves. He can lift us up. He can ennoble us, empowering our lives. This incident in our text, this person goes on, serves us notice from heaven that the Son of God is here on earth. And he sees us, our need, and he's able and willing to transform us from bondage to sin and evil to life for him and with him. There is hope with him. There are no hopeless cases before him. There's no need for anyone here to live and face the future in ongoing hopeless despair. No. Jesus Christ, who healed this woman, is mighty to save today as well. What did this woman do? Think of that. What did she do to have Jesus help? What was the price she had to pay for his help? What were the conditions Jesus laid down for her deliverance? There was none. Jesus, he said to her, come to me. 
That was all. Come to me. Come to me just as you are, crippled and helpless and hopeless. And trust yourself to me. That's what Jesus said. Put yourself in my hands. That was all. And she came to him. And he touched her. She was never the same again. Immediately she straightened up and praised God. Oh, for the touch of the master's hand. Isn't the Savior extending his hand? Yes, we could say his nail-pierced hand to all also here in our every need. Jesus called and she came. And this gospel Savior is still calling today. Oh, do not delay. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, but sinners Jesus came to call. Well, dear congregation, don't you agree with with me? Those are good words from an older preacher way back. And such faithful application on our text passage, surely. And now to drive it home even more, let's look at the gospel Savior in our scripture passage. Not only at Jesus' deeds, but at his instruction further. For what unfolds, according to the text, upon the healing of this woman in that synagogue meeting is really telling what happened further. We are told there was one man and others with him who was very unhappy and with what happened in that service. This man and the others with him, they were filled with indignation. Why? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. With no thought or care for that poor woman in her former misery, and no joy nor thanks for her wonderful deliverance now from it, they instead murmured and complained that the Sabbath was broken. You know that synagogue leader? He had only obsessive focus on the rules for the day as he thought they should be and their order of synagogue worship as he wanted it and by all means always would preserve it no matter what. And so we're told the synagogue leader, he lashed out against the crowd while it was Jesus with whom he was upset. The synagogue crowd, including this woman now, gets the brunt of this upset man's mad rant to them. And he tells them they were to honor the Sabbath day and don't come to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to be healed. By no means. Not on the Sabbath day. Calvin, again in his commentary, he remarks thus about the synagogue leader's foolish and loveless outburst. He says, What an astonishing display of furious madness and malice. What purpose, he says, is to be served by the holy assemblies except to give an opportunity for believers and needies to call out to God for His mercy and help and for entreating the divine assistance in all our needs for soul and body. Yes, and congregation, we need to see this now. Shouldn't we be so encouraged from our text passage seeing Jesus' instructive response to this man? Just notice with me how Jesus didn't tolerate for a second the synagogue's leader's sinful attitude and loveless response to the miracle. Jesus stood up and defended his ministry, defended this woman, and defended the Sabbath as the Lord always intended it. And Jesus calls this man and those thinking like him, what does he call them? Hypocrites. They were hypocrites. 
in not speaking directly to Jesus about their complaints and their concerns. And they were hypocrites too in allowing more care and attention for their animals on the Sabbath day than for their fellow human beings, let alone fellow worshipers. Jesus, in his instruction here, he exposes the double-mindedness and the lovelessness of the Jewish religious leaders. And Jesus sets them straight about the correct view of the Sabbath day as God always meant it. If animal needs were to be legitimately dealt with on the Sabbath, how much more the needs of people. These pharisaical religious leaders were shamefully and selfishly making their oxen and their donkeys more valuable than a daughter of Abraham and a fellow worshiper with them. And how sad that instead of rejoicing in God with and for her healing, they were criticizing her and the synagogue crowd and ultimately they were despising Jesus himself. But Jesus stands up and he, he responds clearly teaching the Sabbath day of all days were special days where more than ever we should exhort ourselves, exert ourselves in Christian worship and Christian service and the Sabbath Day is when we may hear about the Lord, our Redeemer, God, sending, sending His Son, the Messiah, to destroy the works of the devil and to show and demonstrate the love and care of God, our Savior, in all our needs. The Pharisees only promoted rules and regulations. They knew nothing of grace and graciousness and the love of God. But Jesus sets them straight. The Lord's Day, our Sabbath in the New Testament, is never meant as an oppressive, negative day of rules and regulations, but as a most blessed and positive feast day where we may rejoice in the Lord and His gospel tidings. Oh, again I say, congregation, we should be so glad. I'm very happy myself for Jesus' response and teaching here. Jesus is not a religious leader out to oppress and suppress his people, but ever out to bless and to nourish his people in the way of true faith and repentance and obedience and love before God and our neighbor. Thank God for Jesus' happy and holy instruction in the way of grace and truth and love compared to the coldness and deadness of the religious leaders of that day. Are you not attracted to, with me, to the blessed Savior as he is graciously and gloriously portrayed in our text passage? What a Savior he is. As confessing Christians, shall we not confess time and again, oh, to belong to him, Jesus Christ, in body and soul and life and death. That's, that's the greatest and one and only most wonderful comfort and joy in all the world. Really and truly so. Will there be any among us this evening who remain unmoved by our text gospel message about the Savior in the service of the gospel? How is it possible, I ask myself, how is it possible that someone could actually witness the miracle in that synagogue service that Jesus performed, making that sad bent over woman straight and tall again and yet to remain so hard and hardened against the Savior and uncaring for the people. Yet in this synagogue leader congregation, let's admit it, we see a picture of the natural man 
in his blindness and sin and sinfulness. We are all by nature. The Bible teaches us. And the more you know yourself, you know it's true. We are all by nature anti-Christ people, blinded and resistant to God, refusing to bow in submission to God and His Word and to His Son as only Savior and Lord. Only when God, by His Spirit and Word, opens our minds and hearts to our great need of this Savior that the Bible proclaims, ultimately the crucified and risen Redeemer, Jesus Christ the Lord, only then will we humbly and heartedly surrender to Him. Are you still someone running from this Savior and rejecting Him rather than running to Him and receiving Him as only Savior and Lord? God knows. Even with this word this evening, the Savior earnestly calls to all people here to come to Him while it's yet the day of grace. And honoring the Sabbath day, congregation, let us not only each and all trust and obey the Lord Jesus and all His gospel call and way, but let's seek to promote the same God as He gives us opportunity and in word and deed also serve and show love and care to others, even in our wicked and evil times where sin and misery abounds in so many ways, in so many hearts and homes and places. I mean, you know with me, How many are bowed down in misery in our day in all kinds of ways for all kinds of reasons. And the one hope is the gospel. That's the hope. And here again, looking further at our text passage, can we not be so encouraged in the gospel way and gospel mission for life? For notice with me, under our theme, the gospel Savior in service, not only Jesus' deeds and His instruction, but also His impact. His impact. What's the twofold impact of Jesus' ministry as declared and displayed in verse 17? Let me read that verse. And when he, that is Jesus, had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And again in the original, both the verbs were ashamed and rejoiced are in a verb tense expressing ongoing action. So they kept being ashamed or they kept rejoicing. In other words, here we learn, congregation, all who trust and follow Christ as only Savior, they will find reasons time and again to rejoice in God and His wondrous salvation works on their behalf. At the same time, those who reject Christ as only Savior and Lord They will experience, over and over, being put to shame and left empty and shame-faced before God and others. Don't we see this twofold result to the gospel all through Scripture? How the righteous and God-fearing are blessed, trusting Jesus and following Him, while the wicked and unbelieving are left ashamed and hopeless. We see it most clearly, too, when Jesus was on the cross. Remember, he was crucified in the middle between two others, one on his right and one on his left, two criminals. And we know, by God's grace, the one criminal, he turned in repentance and faith to Jesus. And now he was saved by Christ from even the cross and promised eternal life in heaven that very day. But the other crucified criminal, 
He didn't confess his sin and trust Jesus. And the Bible leaves us with the knowledge or the impression very clearly that he died in his sins and in his shame as a rebel and hater of God forever. The response of the unbelieving wicked doesn't result in, well, they made their decision and all turned out well for them to, whatever, it doesn't matter. No, no. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one Savior of sinners. And except we be joined to him by faith, if we won't repent and believe, we will be left in shame under God's wrath, just wrath forever. And this, that too, congregation, should so awaken us all to come to Christ and encourage us all to go to him as he calls us to come to him. And you know, speaking of Christ at the cross, Remember, the context of our text passage is really something good to do. He was on the way to Jerusalem. He was on the way to the cross. Isn't it moving to think about, in connection with that, how bent over in pain and shame, under the weight of sin, not his own, Jesus would become a sin-bearer and Savior, loving his people to the end, serving sinners like us till his last breath. Never can we comprehend or tell how much Jesus suffered under the burden of suffering, the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God on behalf of sinners like us. But isn't it something to think about and keep reminding ourselves of, beloved? The cost to Jesus himself for straightening this bent over woman unable to lift up herself before God and men and under the burdens of Satan's grip on her. And not only in regards to her, but in regards to the salvation and deliverance of all his elect people, of any and every one of his people who call on him, yes, also for you and me. How much it costs Jesus to save a sinner like you and me. Think of him with the cross on his back, going up the hill to Golgotha, so bent over, under the weight, he would bear the curse for us that we might have blessings from him. In connection with that, think just even of him in Gethsemane before Golgotha. How low down Jesus' face would be and was to the ground in the garden of Gethsemane. When comparing scripture with scripture, we are told he crawled there in agony as a worm and no man. Even just in anticipation of the awful, shameful punishment for sin that Jesus had wholeheartedly agreed with God the Father, he would righteously and fully pay. The Bible tells us Jesus gladly committed himself to this, that he as sin-bearer and mediator between God and man would give himself to suffer as the just for the unjust, to save his people from their sins and to be the captain of our salvation over sin, Satan, death, and hell. Oh, what a savior of sinners Jesus Christ is when you put all these gospel tidings together. Don't we all desperately need him? Do you not yet know how much you need him? The reality is, congregation, none of us can ever make straight that which is crooked, not even for our children. And no one of us can, as a fallen sinner, ever redeem himself or herself and get reconciled to God on his or her own. 
God's true people know this and, and confess this, except we be saved by God. There's no hope for us. But how wonderful that Jesus came and he could straighten out the most corrupted and crooked and bent over people in all the world. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And he's standing here today yet saying, come to me and I will bless you. None who come to me, I will cast out. The gospel truth, dear congregation, in 2023 is that no one of us has to live and die bent over in sin and hopeless despair under the bondage of Satan and sin and eternal condemnation. No. Your and my life doesn't need to be misshaped and bowed down like one constant, big, hopeless, helpless question mark. No. For Jesus came to make bent-over sinners unable to fix themselves to become straight and all straight out for Jesus and tall trees of righteousness to His praise. Yes, like an exclamation mark, living all in, out in true and steadfast praise to Him, in love to Him and our neighbor all the days of our life and especially also on the Lord's days. Even so, may the Lord bless this word. His gospel is a transforming gospel. As I close, I want to just share something. I, when I picked my sermons, I, I struggled with a bit. You know, I have two today, two very much gospel-focused sermons, very much about Jesus and pointing to Jesus, and every sermon should be like that, but there's more to the Bible. There's, there's all kinds of other parts of the Bible. Yes, I know. But I was so convicted at a prayer meeting last Wednesday when as a meditation beforehand, we were told the story from one of the, the books that we were using about a, a, a preacher that was being kind of mocked for preaching the gospel and being so full of the gospel. And someone said to him, but preacher, preacher, how about turning water into wine for us? Can you do that? And then the preacher said, you know what he said? He could do something better than that. And he told them, about an alcoholic who had miserably neglected his family for many years, but who had been brought to Christ by healing the gospel. And the preacher said, we didn't turn water into wine, but we turned whiskey into milk for babies. And the point is, congregation, the more we embrace the gospel, the more it has transforming power in our lives and blessing. Also to others, even through us. Oh, may God bless his word that it transform us and that we be transforming instruments in his name, always proclaiming Jesus, the one who straightens out hopeless, bent over, question mark sinners like you and me of ourselves. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love the gospel. And we know for ourselves, it's when we embrace that gospel and are enthralled with the gospel that we live according to the gospel and want to live by it and want to be a light. Nothing so empowers us to be living witnesses of you as enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ and living out of it. And we confess that so often we can get distracted from this. But let us not be distracted from this, Lord, but help us to 
know the gospel and to learn it more and more and to rejoice in it and to live out of it and to be a light in this world of so much sin and misery. And may we see, Lord, not only our own lives transformed, but may we be used by you that the lives of our children and grandchildren and the lives of those around us also be transformed by the same saving grace and gospel as may work in our hearts also through the messages of today about Jesus gladly receiving sinners and Jesus in gospel service for sinners like us. Thank you, Lord, for your precious gospel. May it never testify against any of us, but may we live by it also in the week ahead. May others see we have been with Jesus. Oh, Lord, will you so bless us and make us a blessing. And to you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.